0: cheer.
1: Fall of 1961, the A Company of the Irish Army's 35th Battalion was dispatched to a tiny outpost in Africa called Jaditsville in what was then known as the Belgian Congo, Katanga Province. Its orders were to protect the mainly Belgian settlers as part of a NATO peacekeeping mission. The outpost was an almost indefensible position, and the 156-man contingent knew upon entering the area that they had no support. Their commander, Pat Quinlan, described as a wiry, blunt, pipe-smoking veteran who was very tough under pressure, immediately ordered the building of a robust defensive perimeter around the base. The company consisted mostly of young men who had not been battle-tested. The attack came almost immediately by a force of over 3,000 Katanganese soldiers and mercenaries who, in waves, stormed the position relentlessly were five long days what occurred during those five days is a little known but incredible story of heroism and textbook soldiering under fire against all odds yet the men who fought this battle and survived were never treated as heroes doing great part to the political sensitivity of the purpose of the un as a peacekeeping force join us now for one of history's greatest untold sagas and the subject of one of the best war movies made in the past 10 years, The Heroes of Jadaville. The Siege of Jadotville took place in September 1961 during the United Nations intervention in the Katanga Conflict in Congo-Leopoldville in Central Africa. The Congo, like many African countries in the years following World War II, had turned against its European ruler, Belgium, and declared its independence in 1960. Belgium had been very busy mining the riches of Congo, which, among other things, contained uranium, copper, and cobalt, and Jadotville was one of dozens of mining towns that dotted the Congolese landscape. The Congo was considered a precious asset for Belgium, France, Britain, and the U.S. When the Congo declared their independence, they were ill-prepared for their new role in the world, and the U.N. Security Council set up a U.N. operation in the Congo to support it. It was, to say the least, a chaotic time of restructuring. In the middle of this, Moise-Tishambe, a smart politician with an education in business, who was supported by some Europeans, declared the resource-rich province of Katanga, in which Jadotville was located, to be independent of the newly formed DRC, or Democratic Republic of the Congo. He had already risen to the position to president of Katanga province, and was well known as a fair man, but one who didn't back down he asked the government of Belgium to send in a group of mercenaries who could arm and train a Katangan force. And Belgium, having been stripped of its military power during the recent war, and probably sensing that a piece of the mining business was better than nothing at all, gladly consented. And the Belgian mines were paying for it, using it to protect its uninterrupted production and enforce order in South Katanga province and any group of Belgian, French, and Rhodesian mercenaries was likely to contain an element of French Foreign Legion fighters, all battle-tested veterans. This amounted to the fact that the Katangan Army soldiers were well-armed and no one to tangle with. Djambe soon demanded U.N. recognition for independent Katanga, and he announced that any intervention by U.N. troops would be met with force. Nonetheless, Congolese Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba and his successor, Cyril Adula, successfully requested intervention from U.N. forces. U.N. forces were then sent under the direction of Irish representative Dag Hammarskjöld Connor Cruz O'Brien. Now enter Ireland, which fairly recently, in 1922, had declared itself an independent state, and was now neither joined with the U.N. nor the Warsaw Pact as a top pick by the U.N. to defend what ended up being a very hostile group of mainly Belgian settlers who were working the mines at Jadadville. And they saw the U.N. force as an occupation force. So exactly what was the U.N. doing, and from where did they get the authority to commit an Irish army to defending the right of the Congo to rule Katanga province? That story, at least the part we know, will emerge as our story unfolds. We do know that the positioning of the Irish Army at Jedidville came about after an angry phone call from the Belgian Prime Minister to UN Secretary General Dag Hammarskjöld, complaining that Belgian settlers in the area had been left unprotected and open to attack from the anti-colonialist Canganese. The situation was very different on the ground, however. Instead of welcoming the Irish Army with open arms, the local mine operators made it known they didn't want protection and to get the hell out. The Irish Army's A Company, 35th Battalion, UN Service of the Irish Army, was flown to the provincial capital of Elizabethville, about 80 miles southeast of Jaditsville, and initially deployed to defend that airport, but soon given orders to head for a tiny outpost called Jaditsville, which had served to support the small town of settlers there, while the remainder of the 35th was kept busy fighting in the capital. The A Company commander, Pat Quinlan, immediately ordered the building of a robust defensive perimeter around the base and started stockpiling all the water and food they could in a safe area. He was not a trusting guy. He was also an ardent student of military history, and he was obsessed with tactics and strategy. The company consisted mostly of young men who had not been battle-tested, as young as 17 years old. They were lightly armed with 60-millimeter mortars, Vickers machine guns, and others, shoulder-fired anti-tank guns, and Bren light machine guns. They had two Jeeps and one 1941 lightly armored Ford truck containing a turret armed with an old Vickers 303 machine gun and spotty radio communications. Outside the perimeter, things were heating up fast. In the few days that were available to them prior to the start of the fighting, Commandant Quinlan was to confront the mercenary leader of the Katanganese forces in the Bar in Jadotville on his first day of reconnoitering, where he received a not-so-friendly warning from the tough veteran. In the Netflix The Siege at Jadidville movie, the character is based on the real Roger Falk, who had been a resistance fighter for the French First Army in 1944, receiving the Croix de Guerre at the age of 20. He served in numerous battles and campaigns, both as a mercenary and for the French Foreign Legion in Indochina and later in Algeria. He was also very active leading Katangan forces during the fighting and was providing strategy, but was not physically in Jadotville at the time of the siege, as the movie suggests. The actual mercenary leaders who were at Jadidville are mentioned in the movie facts we provide at the end of the story. Falk and Captain Yves de la Bourdonnais were given leave by Army Minister Pierre Mesmer to provide support for the Katanga Rebellion overall in the former Belgian Congo. Under his instructions, the Katangans had seized a key river crossing which would cut off any reinforcements, and they knew then they had the trap set. Returning to the post, after seeing other groups of well-armed mercenaries in the immediate area, Quinlan immediately set his men to digging a perimeter around the heavily exposed post and preparing for an attack that he was sure was coming. He had never been briefed on the situation in Janusville, but knew that another company had been evacuated just prior to their arrival stocks of water and ammunition were way too low if they were to come under attack on september 13th just days after their arrival and while most of the men were at mass at 11:30 hours the katangans attacked with heavy mortar and small arms fire sergeant john monahan was the first to see the wave of attackers coming he had just finished shaving and his towel was draped around his shoulders but he rushed to the nearest machine gun and opened fire which started the battle of the first day. The Irish were hit by mortars and heavy machine gun fire, as well as being strafed by a Fuga jet overhead. They had no air support to call in. With mortar blasts going off around them and waves of charging Katangans coming at them and firing, the men, who had never seen battle, were getting a big dose of it in a short time. One of the young men, named Carey, who would live to receive an award for heroism many years later, would later tell time magazine as the shells and bullets rained down on us i just thought what the f is going on we were supposed to be peacekeepers and now we're all going to get killed his comrade named john gorman said i don't know to this day how we did it but quinlan was a master tactician they were able to fight off waves of attackers throughout the day mostly at long range But at nightfall, Quinlan believed that his forward positions were untenable if the enemy attacked in strength, so he pulled them back to a new defensive position on high ground, measuring about 250 yards by 120 yards. Every man that night dug trenches to strengthen the line position. The position was surrounded by thick bush and grass at ranges from 600 to 1,500 yards. The plan was to break up attacks at long ranges, using support weapons and machine guns located in trenches and fortified villas located within the compound. Each day the attacks intensified, with the enemy firing 81mm medium and 4.4-inch heavy mortars. and had the added advantage of close air support from the Foyga Magister jet, which was attacking their positions constantly. But the Irish weren't backing down. Every attack was being returned with devastating fire from the Irish armored car, MMGs, Bren guns, and mortars. The situation inside the compound, created by lack of water, however, was becoming dire. There was a grave danger to the men of disease due to burst sewers from bombed buildings, and flies were swarming everywhere. A relief helicopter was able to land and delivered gas cans full of water, but unfortunately the gas cans had not been adequately cleaned out, and the water was undrinkable. Two relief attempts were made by the HQ of the main body of the 35th, but both failed to breach the heavy Katangan defenses along the Lufira Bridge and River on the main route to Elizabethville. After losing three men killed and five wounded, the relief forces withdrew. Another U.N. relief force was turned back. For five days and nights, the tiny garrison fought on until all water, food, and ammunition were exhausted. At one point, they were able to make radio contact with the remainder of the 35th. After being told that no air support or reinforcements could be expected, the radio man said, We will hold out until our last bullet is spent. Could do with some whiskey. The Irish soldiers had successfully defended against successive waves of attackers from their positions, and so far sustained only five wounded, no dead the Irish support platoon knocked out most of the Katanganese mortar and artillery positions with extremely accurate counter-battery fire from 60mm mortars. After withstanding four days of repeated attacks, this was to be a key factor in their defense. The Irish fire proved so accurate and effective that mercenary officers were reportedly observed shooting native gendarmes to stem the rout caused in the Katanganese lines. The Katanganese asked Quinlan for a ceasefire, as their forces had been seriously diminished. By this time, their effective strength may have been reduced to 2,000 men. On the fifth day of the siege, with no sign of relief, Quinlan, who miraculously had not lost a single man killed, and who had managed to count over 300 bodies of attackers strewn outside the perimeter that hadn't been recovered, agreed to a ceasefire between the UN and the Katangan forces when the ceasefire was broken by Katangans after a few more days, Quinlan had no choice but to surrender his force. Had he not done so, because of the high losses that the Katangans had suffered, Quinlan's men undoubtedly would have been slaughtered and the base overrun in the heat of battle. Without water and food, fighting men cannot survive long. They could all die as martyrs here in what was known to the world as a peacekeeping effort, or try to negotiate a safe release, and Quinlan
0: It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: The Irish were held as hostages for approximately one month, and they took beatings. The Irish were held as hostages for approximately one tough month, in an effort to extort terms of ceasefire that were embarrassing to the U.N., The Katanganese and their mercenary allies bartered the Irish soldiers for prisoners in the custody of the Congolese government of Joseph Kasavubu. After being released, the troops were returned to their base in Elizabethville. Some weeks later, however, a company found itself involved in active combat again, this time with the support of Swedish UN troops, who, it must be mentioned, formed a small contingent of the troops at Jadotville. Eventually, they were reinforced with fresh troops from Ireland. Their replacement was the 36th Battalion. After weeks of fighting and their six-month tour of duty now complete, A Company was rotated out of the battle zone and sent home to Ireland that December. But there was to be no hero's welcome for them. The surrender of A Company was seen by some to be a national embarrassment, which overshadowed the men's courage and competence. This treatment of the Jadidville troops outraged the soldiers and their families, and led to a decades-long fight to bring attention and truth to what had really happened there. Until the early 21st century, the Irish state did not give much recognition to the Battle of Jadotville. The term Jadadville Jack was sometimes applied as a term of derision about the Irish defense forces. After the incident, no Irish soldier received any decoration for his actions at Jadotville, although Quinlan recommended a number of his men for the Military Medal for Gallantry. Ireland's highest award for military valor, for their actions during the battle. In 2016, the Irish government finally did award a Presidential Unit Citation to A Company, the first in the state's history. Although A Company, 35th Battalion, had tactically defeated a larger enemy force at Jattedville, the Irish Defense Forces did not overtly acknowledge the battle. There may have been perceived shame that A Company had surrendered or because of political and strategic errors demonstrated at higher levels, it was squashed. Quinlan eventually retired as a full colonel, but never served overseas again. The Irish officers who fought at Jadidville found that it was best for one's career not to mention the battle. Quinlan never mentioned it in public. The veterans of Jadidville were dissatisfied that the defense forces refused to acknowledge the battle and that there was an implied black mark on the reputation of their commander. Quinlan, who died in 1997, had his public reputation restored nine years after his death. The veterans of A Company reportedly regarded him as an exceptional officer who had saved the lives of his men by ordering them to dig in and who successfully led his company against an overwhelming enemy force. He was forced into an impossible situation by the failings of the U.N. leadership. Whenever you have non-military men in charge of ordering offensive action and sending men into battle without proper planning beforehand, you risk a catastrophe. The UN leadership never should have become embroiled in Belgium's problems in the Congo. Against the odds, Quinlan had saved the lives of each of his men in a battle they had not expected nor planned for. The Netflix movie tells the story well and stays close to the details of what happened there. John Gorman, a retired soldier who had been a 17-year-old private during the fight, campaigned for years to have the Battle of Jadotville recognized. In 2004, Irish Minister for Defense Willie O'Day agreed to hold a full review of the battle. A Defense Forces inquiry cleared Quinlan and A Company of allegations of soldierly misconduct a commemorative stone recognizing the soldiers of A Company was erected on the grounds of Custom Barracks in Athlone in 2005. A commissioned portrait of Quinlan was installed in the Congo Room of the Irish Defense Forces' UN school. The heroes of Jadidville seemed to fade into the back chapters of military annals until Declan Powers' history, The Siege at Jadidville, the Irish Army's Forgotten Battle, was written in 2005 and then adapted as the film the siege of jaded in 2016 the cast includes Jamie Dornan and Mark Strom and the movie had a well-received premiere at the 2016 Galway Film Festival it had a limited cinematic release in September of 2016 and had a worldwide release on Netflix on the 7th of October 2016 I've seen the movie and I can tell you that it deserves along with the heroes who fought there and their memories a standing ovation We have not given up the last scene of the movie, which will surprise you. Here are some IMDb facts to help you get behind some of the scenes in the movie. Connor Quinlan, who plays PJ in the movie, is the real life grandson of Commandant Pat Quinlan, one of the main heroic characters in the movie. Connor, as PJ, gets to utter the line Quinlan doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to get us killed. The film's director, Richie Smith, was adamant that the cast should all be given proper military training. The actors went through weeks of intense training at a boot camp in South Africa, undergoing the same kind of training that the original soldiers would have gone through. At one point, Smith even put Jamie Dornan in charge of the other actors so he could create the dynamic of leading men. And this one. The old, hard-to-come-by-but-historically-accurate Gustav machine guns seen used by the movie's actors were procured in South Africa. By checking the serial numbers, it was confirmed that some were the very same guns used in the battle. The real John Shram was a far cry from the gritty figure with a goatee seen in the movie. Neat and clean, he considered himself to be above the other mercenary leaders in Katanga, believing himself to be a planter and administrator in uniform only to defend his adopted homeland. He detested adventurers like the French and Belgian mercenaries who came from Europe to fight for Katanga. The Commandant's son, Leo Quinlan, shared a radio log with the film's director, a radio log the Commandant had smuggled out of the Congo containing information that even the Irish Army had not seen. And this one. The Battle of Jadotville has long been fodder for conspiracy theories due to a number of controversial UN leadership errors. Jadaville was easily isolated from the main force in distant Elizabethville by closing the Lufira Bridge, and the total absence of U.N. combat aircraft in the theater made air cover impossible. These two factors were easily deduced and proved critical during the siege. The stated purpose of the mission was to safeguard white settlers in the Jadaville area, but Commandant Quinlan discovered not only that the settlers didn't want protection, but that many of them were hostile towards the U.N. presence. U.N. leaders rebuffed Quinlan when he tried to discuss the precarious tactical situation and ambiguous mission objectives. They wouldn't give him the time of day. Quinlan was not notified in advance about the raids in Elizabethville. Once the siege began, a hastily assembled and lightly armed U.N. force sent to the Lufira Bridge was prematurely withdrawn, even though the enemy gendarmes they encountered were poorly prepared and were taking heavy casualties. The respite allowed Katangan forces to dig in and stop the U.N. relief column that subsequently arrived. Finally, the water airlifted to the troops by helicopter was contaminated with diesel fuel and undrinkable. Lack of water was one of the major factors in the surrender. Although these errors may have been the result of simple and pervasive incompetence by U.N. leadership, some conspiracy theorists have accused the U.N. of purposely undermining the Irish contingent and this one. The characters of Rene Falk and Blackjack are, respectively, based off of mercenary commanders Colonel Roger Falk and Commandant Jean Schramm, alias Blackjack. Neither Falk, an ex-foreign Legion officer given overall command of the Katangani Gendarmes, nor Schramm, a wealthy plantation owner turned commander of his personal Leopard Battalion, were actually present at Jadotville. Instead, Captain Henri Maurice Lazimon, an ex-French Army paratrooper who hated Roger Falk and dated a U.N. aid worker, and Captain Michel de Clary, a French aristocrat who preferred warfare to indolence, were commanding the gendarmes. In the film, the role of de Clary as overall commander is filled by Falk, and the role of Lazimon as second-in-command is filled by Schramm. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Our show has enjoyed tremendous success in the past year, all thanks to you, our listeners, who, research says, are well-educated and enjoy history and a well-made story. The largest number of our listeners subscribe to our show at iTunes, which you can do from any kind of device, and receive notice when we post our new episodes, which is usually Sunday night at 8 p.m., You can also enjoy our collection of past shows there, which are timeless. We have posted an iTunes link to both of our shows, 1001 Heroes and 1001 Classic Short Stories, in the show notes for you. Thanks for the great and kind reviews you all have been posting. I'm humbled by your words and appreciation. This is quite a journey you and I have been taking through history, and I hope it never ends. The world of podcasting makes it all possible. Tell a friend. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.